0: Today, I'm speaking to Chris DeBeck, the CEO of Civilized Entertainment and chairman of the Texas Media Coalition. He's worked in a variety of roles in Hollywood, working with the likes of Jim Henson and James Cameron. He helped build E1's reality division to be one of the largest media divisions on Earth. Most importantly, Chris also happens to produce The Arsnake Show. Don't think for one second I didn't relish the opportunity to turn the camera on him for once. <laughs> Not only was this episode special due to the guest, it also happened to be shot on location during South by Southwest. We got the opportunity to discuss some of the unsavory aspects of Hollywood and the media industry in general, including gun handling, how the media represents tech, the future of virtual acting, and more. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Chris DeBeck. Well, I'm here with my very special guest, uh, Chris DeBeck. How are you, sir? I'm
1: good. How are you, Robert?
0: Very good. For those of you who have not seen the credits of my podcast, Chris is my producer as well as a very good friend of mine.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> fascinating. I'm actually a guest of my own podcast. Yeah, I know, so it's that's kinda, great.
0: Kind of bizarre here. Yeah. Um, this is a little bit incestuous, but I think you're actually a very interesting guest for a number of reasons. So uh, we'll get into that in a second. But before we do that, we're here at the Ibble Activation at South by Southwest. Have you had a chance to kind of make your rounds yet? I have.
1: Uh, I went last night and had a great time. Um, the Ible installation here is amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not, if you're at South by Southwest, please stop by and check it out. It's yeah. pretty cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's great. So, um, one of the reasons why I think you're great is because you really understand a lot about Hollywood, and Hollywood I think is sort of the center of gravity of a lot of things that are happening in society in general. And. Um, so, kind of get started. I want to get your bona fides a little bit and talk about your credentials. Just, just so that people know who you are and why you're not just some producer off the street. You're, <laughs> you're somebody that has done this a lot. Can, right. you, can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, here? yeah.
1: yeah. Um, I've been in the industry for 33 years. Um, I started at uh, Walt Disney World. The first job I ever had was the grand opening of Disney-MGM Studios' two-hour NBC television special. I was uh 1990 1989 something like that Ugh, i age myself <laughs> anyway um so i did that for I, I was in disney for about six years and i basically produced everything that came into disney studios so it, it was a i was able to get the kind of experience that uh a lot of people you know dream of so i did commercials i did music videos i worked on the movie oscar with sylvester stallone um, i worked on a show called thunder in paradise with hulk hogan Um, I, I got an opportunity to do a lot of things. Florida was a right to work state at the time. So I worked in all the departments as well. I did, um, art department locations, production, coordination, craft service. Um, I, I got an opportunity to do everything and that was fascinating to me. So, so six years in Florida and then it took me to California. So when I got to LA, Um, I started doing uh, a bunch of different films. I did The Out of Towners. Mm -hmm. uh, I did uh, with Goldie Hawn and Steve Martin. uh, Devil's Advocate with Keanu Reeves. I have some amazing stories about that one. Good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. (laughs) Uh, And then uh, you know several other films. And you know I've been in LA for 28 years. So uh, my sort of claim to fame, I suppose, would be uh, I produced James Cameron's underwater documentaries Mm -hmm. from 2000 to 2005. Who? James Cameron, Uh, you know, Avatar, Titanic, you know, little movies. He's probably the most
0: well-known director, I think.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, that's what I hear. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I did five years with Jim Cameron, but I've I've been in the family's, uh, you know, circle for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, When I left Jim, I went to go start a new division of Entertainment One Television, E1, and uh, I was the vice president of production for E1 for six years. Um, and
0: E1 specialty is
1: E1. Uh, the division we started was nonfiction, uh, reality, and docu series. So it's
0: your fault.
1: Yeah, it's my fault. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Reality TV is my fault. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Um, so I did that for six years, and you know, basically, it was myself and Tara Long. Uh, we we were the only two that started the division, and then in the six years that we were there, we've created probably about four hundred to six hundred hours worth of television with multiple series like Growing Up Hip Hop and, uh, you know, Famous with David Spade and, you know, there's, I don't know, there's a lot of, it. I'd actually have to read my own resume to tell you all the shows I worked on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then after I left E1, I went to do the Olympics. I did a show called... Uh, uh, scouting camp, the next Olympic hopeful. Yeah, it was great. The for, for like USOC. That. Yeah. yeah, we. I wish uh, they had
0: made another season of that. that um, was pretty yeah,
1: it was amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we discovered a bunch of Olympians that actually went on to, uh, and the gentleman, uh, one of our guys, won a bronze in bobsled. So. Uh, and these are
0: not. These are not Olympic. No, no, they. They're, they're just, just randoms off the street. Basically. Oh yeah, yeah. They
1: were from uh, you know like LA Fitness ran a, a program for you know anyone who was working out at the gym that wanted to be an Olympian. Come on down, kind of thing. So we did th- I did that, and then um, another couple of years of uh, you know various movies, reality shows, TV. Uh, but in 2019, I was the production executive on a movie called The Green Knight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dev Patel, Alicia Vikander. It mm-hmm.
0: was a great movie. I
1: uh, spent about five months in Ireland. And I-, I have to say, Ireland is an amazing country. It's, it, w- it was one of the best uh, shoots I've ever been on my entire life. Mm-hmm.
0: I so, bet, uh, yeah. and also it was, just, it was kind of an interesting, it added a lot to the aesthetic you know a lot of Hollywood they kind of they kind of put fog machines in instead of it just being a foggy day. No, The
1: the, the Green Knight was uh, we were there and and actually uh, a lot of production gets upset when it's raining Mm -hmm. we were hoping for rain because pretty much most of the movie is you know Deb Patel with a giant axe on his back trudging through the marshlands of Ireland Mm -hmm. so um, you know we I did that uh, and then I came back and um, in uh 20 let's see what was it march 14th, 2020 i was doing a show called ghosted for mtv so uh, on march 14th they shut us down and because of the pandemic so uh i you know march april uh, beginning of may comes and uh, i get a call from uh, james cameron's brother john cameron Mm -hmm. john had a tech company called the human health organization So John said, Chris, you know, Jim called, we need PPE and we need testing for Avatars 2 and 3. I'm like, okay, let's do it. So I jump on board as a chief operating officer and uh, we, Avatar 2 and 3 were actually the first two shows that were up and running during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, May, June, July-ish, 2020. Um, Then uh, the next client we had was Netflix. Then the next client we had was Lionsgate. Lionsgate bought a lot of tests for all of their shows, both scripted, unscripted, features, TV, the whole thing. So now the Human Health Organization, instead of doing tech, had transitioned into uh, COVID, you know, protocols. Mm-hmm. And w- as it turned out, we were one of the top companies in all of uh, California doing testing, and we only tested Hollywood shows. So um, you know, we, my myself and my staff, were on set for. At least fifteen hundred different productions, all kinds—commercials, nonfiction. You know, we did Apple, Netflix, Hulu. You know, everybody. So um, I have a another. You know, I have a little bit more experience with dealing with COVID protocols. I imagine so. Yeah.
0: So, one of the cool things is now you and I have kind of had a similar experience where we both moved from California to Texas. Yeah. You're a recent. You're the you're the new transplant. You're the yeah, new guy in the block.
1: Yeah, I uh, I moved to uh, Austin, Texas on January sixth this year.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and what, what first impressions? What do you what do you think um, so far?
1: First impressions. First of all, Austin's a great city. Yeah. Uh, beautiful people. Great Thank food. You. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, you're a gorgeous guy. Uh, great food. Um, really, you know, it, it it's like. It's a big city and a small town, mm-hmm. and I, I really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, yes, I know there's traffic, but, yeah, it's not like L.A. So, you know, <laughs> I, I really enjoy that, yeah. <laughs> Gas prices are half the price in L.A. I yeah. mean, it's like seven bucks in L.A. now. Yeah. But uh, I really enjoy Austin.
0: Yeah, I noticed something kind of interesting when I moved here. Um, I actually noticed something similar when I moved from Southern California to Northern California. Northern Californians seem to think Southern Californians are kind of... Uh, all about who you know whereas Northern California it's more about like what you do you know you, it's like what like you're talking
1: Silicon Valley yeah stuff, yeah in yeah. that
0: area um, it's funny because when I moved to Texas I had sort of the same kind of weird epiphany it's like well Texas there's sort of, everyone's just super nice like incredibly nice to the point where when I first started going out like people would help me and I, I just was sure they were trying to rob me. You know, like I was <laughs> yeah. like actually putting my hand on my wallet like, "Uh-oh, here it comes." <laughs> it was a very bizarre experience. Yeah. But I think LA has got a kind of a bad rap about that. Um it's so my my one claim to fame about this at all and this this should show this is not a good story. Um I was in a grocery store and uh somebody had left their shopping cart in the middle of the aisle and I'm like what asshole did this kind of thing? And it turns out it was John Corbett. And John Corbett behind me said, oh, I'm so sorry. And I recognized his voice before I saw him because I'd watched Northern Exposure. And I'm like, ah, I didn't even want to turn around because I knew who it was. And he turned around, yep, sure enough. And he's super nice and very gracious. And it, and it just occurred to me, like, I, these are people. These are normal people yeah. and, and I, I have no reason to think of them any different than I think of you or anybody else I might know. Sure. But I think a lot of people in Northern California look at Southern Californians as sort of this weird collective of who you know and not who you are. Right. Like, what's your experience?
1: Well, I mean, you know, 33 years in Hollywood, you know, you you learn a few things, I suppose. And, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it is all, you know, I I won't say it's all, but it's who you know, sure, it's called networking. Um, But (laughs) you also have to do a good job too. I mean, uh, I used to have people ask me, what kind of producer are you? And I'm like, what? He's like, well, what producer are you? I'm like, I'm the one that works for a living. I I come in before everybody else, and I leave, you know, I'm the last one to leave. Mm -hmm. Um, For years, for about 15 to 20 years, I'm a line producer. So a line producer, for those audience that doesn't know what a line producer does, um, you have above the line, which are directors, actors, writers, you know, all the creative. Mm -hmm. And below the line, you basically have the crew, the camera, the grip, electric, sound. There's a line in the budget. That is basically, you know, separates the above and the below. The line producer is the line. So I, uh, even though that it's not technically a creative position, uh, I'm not technically crew either, but I have to manage both.
0: So, budgets as well as personnel issues? B-
1: personnel, vendors, budgets, insurance, legal, all of it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I am basically. You're
0: the CEO of the project.
1: The, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, the director is. Well, maybe, yeah. (laughs) uh, However you want to frame it, that's fine.
0: (laughs) I don't want to get you in trouble with director friends. No, that's all right. right. They question that. (laughs) So what does it take to be successful? I mean, you've had a very historic career in many different ways, but someone just getting started in their career, you know, maybe they're an intern, maybe they're working the camera, maybe they're trying to work their way up and get into Hollywood. What, what does it take to actually be successful from the ground up?
1: Um, well, personally, I, I can speak to my, you know, what I've done is uh, sure. it is networking. And uh, I used to tell, uh, you know, up-and-comers, I was a, uh, I used to guest lecture at UCLA Film School, USC Film School, and I talked to the graduating class and they would want to know, well, what's it like out in the real world? Well, I I would basically start by saying, you know, who wants to work at Starbucks? Nobody raised their hand. And who wants to work in the film and television industry? And everybody raised their hand. I said, great. You know, about a quarter of you are going to be working at Starbucks if you don't pay attention. <laughs> so, um, for me, you know, for me, it's uh, you need your first show. Get your first show. PA, PA is the entry level position. You can, you know, run. Co- it's a gopher, coffee, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So if you can get into it as a PA, then you'll start learning and you'll start meeting people. So w- the way I did it was I PA'd for several years in various different departments so I could learn each of the different departments. While I was doing that, I was making friends. So um, for those who are starting out in the film business, you, you need to work hard, do a good job, and make a lot of friends. And, and then you know, as you keep growing, you'll start figuring out what you wanna do and how you wanna do it.
0: And how did you do it?
1: Um, well, uh, I, uh, I got the opportunity to work with Jim Henson and the Muppets. So mm-hmm. I worked with Jim before he died. And um, so Jim was uh, this amazing spiritual and you know, just a power, just a force. So um, his producer was Martin Baker, and Martin was equally as powerful as Jim was. So Martin said to me, uh, Chris, I need you to start, you know, what you're doing here on this show, um, you should do for the next 10 years of your life. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, if you want to do what I do, then you, should, you need to work in each department on one show, a commercial, a music video, uh, whatever, all of it. Um, And you need to do that for the next 10 years. And I guarantee you, you will be one of the best producers in Hollywood if you follow that pattern. Now, Martin uh, won multiple Emmys. (laughs) He probably got that, too. (laughs) Emmys, too. He won multiple Emmys. And, you know, it was Jim Henson, of course, the Muppets. So um, he had a lot of uh, acclaim. Mm-hmm. So I followed his lead, and uh, ten years later, uh, I was a production supervisor working on a movie called Spy Hard with Leslie Nielsen, and I finally felt like uh, I had a real good grasp of so the it's industry.
0: Really, just hard-earned work.
1: Hard-earned work, yeah, correct.
0: It's, there's nothing. There's no magic pill. You can't just. Wake no, up one as, day, as you know, unless you unless you're, you happen to be born into the, one of families. Yeah, unless not, you're a machine or yeah, something. Yeah, well, that's the that's the <laughs> other fun
1: part of this industry is that you know if you have relatives in it uh use them yeah okay yeah. um you know uh,
0: that nepotism is pretty gross y-
1: it's gross but i'm gonna I, I hate to say this but it's real but you gotta use you it. use you use what you got
0: you gotta use the tools in front of you correct yeah not my style but uh you, i write my own tools how about that yeah, there you go <laughs> well you have
1: a different industry than yeah, i do,
0: definitely so. definitely So I think you're an interesting person for a number of reasons, and one of those is because you are a line producer. So you really do get to see the economics of how these deals are made, as well as how the sausage is made under the hood. You know, someone gives you a budget, you really have to go make this thing happen within that budget, within this time frame. And that is, there's a lot of things I think you have to do to make that occur that may not be as wonderful as people wish it would was. I mean, I think a lot of, there's a lot of bodies buried out in the desert kind of thing yeah, in this industry.
1: True. I'm <laughs> like, not telling. No. <laughs> Signed an NDA on that Yeah, one.
0: but I feel like in the industry, you kind of have to decide how much you're willing to do to get ahead. Is that kind of your impression from working with these people? Like, there's a lot of sociopaths who just kind of end up doing this and just kind of have to make it happen. Well, Cause you don't strike me as a sociopath.
1: No, no, no. I, I'm. A, You're a very I, empathetic I, person. In many I parts. have a work ethic, and you know, I, I come from Reading, Pennsylvania, and you know, I, I you know, I come from a good family. So, um, uh, you know, Hollywood changes people sometimes. So you have to just uh, you know roll with it. But for me, I've always kept my grounded. You know, I kept my feet on the ground. And uh, I tried to learn the business of show business first. Mm-hmm. And that was, a, uh, I got another, uh, more advice from other friends in the business that said show business is about economics. It really is. I mean, yes, you know, the creative, you know, controls the storyline and, mm-hmm. and, you know, shows what you're going to shoot, but you need the money to make the creative. Sure so for me it's it literally is um i find that economics and creative go hand in hand they walk together on the same path
0: mm-hmm. well you certainly control the purse ring so that makes it easier <laughs> well yeah
1: but but you also have to, you know like for example working for james cameron mm-hmm. um, he is not the easiest person in the world to work with
0: oh yeah i haven't heard
1: <laughs> but you know it took me about a year and a half to figure out what you, That's
0: us a good let's hear a good story
1: probably. oh good story well okay uh, you're gonna love this one. So, uh, five years working for James Cameron, I got fired four times. Uh, three of the times had nothing to do with me because I just happened to be in the line of fire. Mm-hmm. But the fourth time had everything to do with me. And um, so, uh, let's see, I, I have to kind of jump back just a little bit. So, um, I'm, I'm, I became best friends with John Cameron, Jim's brother. So John and I were thick as thieves during these uh, documentaries we were doing. So, um, I just got back from Portugal and uh, we were just finishing up uh, Aliens of the Deep um, for uh, Disney. So, I got back from Portugal and um, actually, no, wait, it wasn't Aliens. I apologize. Uh, see, this is my resume. I, 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 you know, everything kind of just blurs into one year, you know? Uh, let's see, we did Ghost of the Abyss, Aliens of the Deep, Expedition Bismarck, Last Mystery of the Titanic, in that order. So, we just finished Ghost of the Abyss, and I was coming back from Portugal. And um, I got a call, I got a message on my answering machine, which we had answering machines back then. Mm-hmm. And it was John Cameron saying, Hey, Chris, give me a call. I said, Okay, great. So, I pick up the phone, I call JD. We call him JD, John Cameron's JD. And uh, JD said, Chris, um, I need you to meet Jim in Nice, France, Saturday at, at 12 noon. I said, Uh, I just landed, I just got back from Portugal. What are you talking about? This is a Thursday. So he says, yeah, listen, this is what's happening. You need to do this. I booked you a flight already. I'm like, that means I have to leave like today. Yeah, okay, don't unpack, just take your (laughs) stuff with you. So uh, I rush back to the airport, get on a plane and I go to Nice, France. So I land, it's Friday afternoon, give or take. So um, I just, no hotel bookings, no transportation, nothing. I just had a ticket and they told me to go and call me when you get to Nice. So I went, got a hotel, uh, I called John and say, John, I'm in Nice, France, where am I meeting Jim? And he goes, great, write this address down. So I write this address down and um, I go down to the front desk to ask the ladies at the front desk, where is this address? You know, because you know this was in 2002 so we didn't really have the kind of technology, the phones and the GPS and all that stuff. So the ladies at the front desk were very helpful. They opened a map of France and they were showing, you know, they were looking for the town I'm supposed to meet Jim at. And they finally found it. So uh, if anyone's familiar with geography of France, you know, uh, Nice is like up here somewhere, uh, Paris is over here, Marseille's down there. So um, I, the, the ladies found the town and they go, oh, EC, EC, which means here in French. So um, I'm looking at that. And I'm, I'm like, well, where are we? And they go, uh, okay, we are here. You need to go here,
0: opposite <laughs> side of the country.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I'm in Nice, and I need to go to Marseille. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to admit, I was a little upset at John at yeah. the time <laughs> because uh, I don't know what the hell was going on. Why they sent me to Nice, and I have now, uh, as a producer you have to think on your feet. You have to be quick and you, you really have to, you know, solve problems. So um, I asked the ladies, I'm like, how do I get to Marseille by tomorrow morning, before, you know, uh, if I leave tonight? Because I, I couldn't really take a flight because just the way the times worked. So one of the ladies said, my father's a farmer. Um, There is a train that goes all the way around France. It's an agriculture train Mm -hmm. And she said I can get you on that train it leaves tonight at 11 p.m. I said okay great put me on the train so uh, I grab my stuff and I go to the train and uh, It there's one car for farmers. It smells like cow shit chicken shit It's got feathers all over the place and they they don't have seats. They got wood benches, so um, So I'm on the train and I'm going around east. It takes about eight hours to get all the way it down to Marseille. And it's horrible. I mean, it's, it's July, I'm sweating, it, the whole thing smells like cow shit. So uh, I see the sunrise in Marseille, and that's gorgeous. So I get there, I, uh, I grab a cab, only one cab out in front, and then we take the cab, and I show him the address, and he goes, okay, no problem. So he takes me to the address, and it's a feed mill for animals. And I'm like, this can't be right. So we're driving around, driving around, and it keeps taking me to the same address. So the town had a little kiosk that said Visitor Center. So he <laughs> dropped me off there. I get on the phone. It's the middle of the night in uh, L.A., and I called John. I said, John, I don't know where I am. I'm I'm here, but the address isn't, it's a feed mill. I'm in the center of town. Can you, what do I do? And he literally says to me, okay, great, Jim will be there in about an hour, and hangs up. I'm like, how in the world do you know where I am? I told you I, I don't understand how this works. I mean, I didn't. I was just beginning with the Cameron so I didn't really kind of get how they functioned. So I waited around, and literally a 15-passenger van pulls up, door slides open. Jim, Susie, his wife, three kids. Jim looks at me and goes, "Hey, Chris, how was your trip?" And I'm like, "Fine, Jim." So I get in the van. And uh, first of all, with Jim Cameron, you keep it very quick, very short, and to the point, and try not to add any more words that don't need to be added. So I jump in the van, and uh, I'm sitting there next to uh, Josie, uh, one of Jim's daughters, little girls. She was like 10 years old. And Josie starts going, she's like smelling me. I mean, I smell like sheep shit. I, 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 I've been just riding a train for eight hours, you know, rolling around in that stuff. So, uh, and then Susie slaps Josie on the arm and says, "Stop that! Don't be rude." And he's, "Mommy, he smells." And kids I, are honest. Yeah, yeah. So we we go back to that same feed mill, but there's a road behind the feed mill that I didn't see before. Uh, they open the gate, they go in, and Jim is nudging me in the shoulder, going, "Wait till you see! Wait till you see!" And I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here because no one told me what I was doing here. I was just meeting Jim. So we go in the back, we get to a warehouse. They open the door of the warehouse and Jim is like a child, you know, he's like opening his presents. He's like, wait till you see what we got. Wait till you see what we got. So we go in and I look at a warehouse as big as a Costco and there are two submarines. There are four boats, four trucks. And shelves and shelves and shelves of, of underwater deep sea diving equipment. Jim looks at me. Now this is the first time I have seen the two submarines, all the equipment, all this stuff,
0: or, or even knew they exist. Even know they exist. <laughs> no, you know, John
1: gave me. You know, John gave me no information. So I, uh, you know, uh, Jim looks at me and crosses his arms and says, "So, how long is it going to take you to ship?" All of this stuff back to my ranch in Santa Barbara. And I'm looking at him going, You know, I'm your production manager, right? <laughs> uh, I didn't say that. Uh, you never say that to Jim. I did not say that. But in my mind, I'm like, You gotta be fucking kidding me. Really? So uh, again, knowing what I know about working for uh, James Cameron, sure. uh, I said to him, I, I, I put my hand on my chin and I was like, you know what, can we walk around so I understand exactly everything's in here so I get a better perspective of this? Jim respected that. He goes, yes, I understand why you're doing that, so let's do it. So Jim's showing me all this stuff, and the whole time I'm walking around the warehouse, all I'm saying is, fuck, 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 fuck. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What the hell am I going to tell the guy? So we do this for like a good hour, hour and a half. And then uh, I we go into the office, and, and Jim goes, so, so what do you think? now for me I, I was like I try to get as much time as I need so uh, I told him eight weeks and he looks at me and he slams his fist on the table and says eight weeks you have three I'm like okay
0: <laughs> <laughs> so now you have three so
1: I'm now at three yeah. <laughs> anyway that's the uh, that's James Cameron I mean you know I and I actually did it I got it done in three weeks but all right getting back to how I got fired sure. this is how I got fired so I did everything by the book I mean I it was it was the way it should have been done because I had to deal with Interpol. I had to deal with the FBI, CIA. I had to deal with Naval Intelligence. You know, there's a lot of different people I had to deal with. So I figured it all out. Um, before that, uh, Jim sent me, he gave me a 13-page manifesto on how to ship the subs. He had written this up already. You know, and he just handed me, he, he said, follow these instructions it, and, and we'll take care, it'll be done. I'm like, okay, great. I didn't, I looked at page one. I'm like, yeah, that ain't gonna work. So I basically put that in a folder and I said, you know what, I'm just going to do this the way I need to do this. I figured it all out. So I, uh, so Jim calls me and says, hey, how's everything going? Are you on schedule? I'm like, Yep, yeah, we're on schedule, we're on time, everything's loaded, ready to go. Did you follow my protocols? I said, well, Jim, unfortunately, uh, there was a lot of things in your protocols I couldn't follow because of certain you know, legal rules and this, that, and the country of France, and et cetera, et cetera. There was silence on the other end. And then all of a sudden, he starts screaming at me on the phone, and I have to hold the phone out like this. (laughs) And he is saying, you, MF, I mean, he was, every slur in the book, he was so angry that I didn't follow his instructions, even though we're ready, three weeks it took me to do this. I didn't know how to do it, I figured it out. Um, And then uh, he rips the phone out of a wall, throws it through the window of the office, runs out of the office gets in his uh, car and starts doing donuts in the parking lot i found this out later because andrew his producing partner told me what happened um and then uh the final uh call the final words jim said to me were burn your passport i never want to see you back in the united states (laughs) (laughs) again." so um that was the fourth time i got fired but Here's the thing, uh, then he rehired re- so what happened was Andrew <laughs> called me up after Jim freaked out and, uh, and says, Chris, tell me everything you told Jim. So I went through it all stage by stage. And Andrew was like, Chris, that's amazing. That's amazing that you were able to get it done so quickly and so like legally, legitimately. So he's like, I'll talk to Jim, go t- take a week off in the south of France and have fun. I'm like, cool. I, and here's the thing: is I had seen Jim blow up before that, so I kind of knew that this will get would get worked out. And then um, you and were, and then, and then, then Jim so wrote me an email about two weeks later, and says, "Chris, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Thank you so very much. No <laughs> one could have done a better job. Get your ass back here. We have a lot of work to do." Yeah. So there's your Jim Cameron story.
0: So why don't you tell a quick story about how you and I met? Because I think that that's sure. kind of dovetailing into the actual of conversation course, here. Of course, of
1: um, course. Know, this
0: is just your bona fides. This th- is are, leading up to I know. I was going to say, wow. What the, okay, good. <laughs> cool. um,
1: so uh, I was a vice president of production at E1. And um, Robert came in with Jeremiah Grossman and another fellow named Joe. And they were pitching us a reality show about hacking. And I thought, wow, this is great. I really want to do this. So, uh, Robert, they all come in, sit down. Uh, Robert asked me, Hey, what's your Wi Fi password? And I said, Well, it's on the wall. We actually had a piece of paper on the wall and said it. And he was like, Okay, great. So, excuse me. So, uh, Joe and Jeremiah start pitching the show. About 10 minutes go by. And uh, Robert flips his laptop around and shows me a mock up of marketing campaign he had for the show he's like here's here's what we think here's these images you know that we want to do this and this and this and I'm looking at them going, wow that's really great and then I look at the the banners around it I'm like what is that where 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 is this marketing thing what did you do where is that he goes oh I hacked your website now entertainment one television is a half a billion dollar corporation out of Canada as big as Lionsgate he hacked our website you yep. put you you yeah. hacked our website yes, I did. you put the uh, marketing campaign on the site and i I was like okay can you take it down please because we're going to get into trouble for this so uh, rob was like oh yeah no you said yeah no problem i'll take it down Mm uh so the the pitch continued and we ended up buying the show Mm -hmm. um we went and pitched the show Uh, nothing really transpired with it but about two days later we got an internal email from corporate in canada saying uh we've been breached Mm -hmm. we've been hacked change your passwords, change this, change that. The two development guys I was working with run into my office and go, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, should we tell someone? And I'm like, no, don't say a word. They're going to now find out in this podcast it was you that hacked e one So, you know, get ready for the police to show up at your door. Anyway, that's how we met, and we've been friends ever since.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So a quick aside, why do you think Hollywood didn't want to do a show about hacking? Why do you you think that they're allergic to that idea?
1: Well, um, one of the pitches you guys had was uh, with MTV Viacom. Uh, The feedback we got was that Viacom Legal thought it would be a larger liability than an asset. Because they were afraid that you guys were doing a hacking show, they were going to get hacked. Mm just because that's kind of what you guys do. You like messing with each other. No, yeah,
0: they, look what happened they, to Sony. Yeah, look what happened to Sony, exactly.
1: So you guys keep messing with each other. So that's basically the feedback we got. I mean, everyone loved the show, but I believe they were all afraid of what it meant legally.
0: I think that's really kind of a, a travesty yeah. um, because I think the show might've been good or might've been bad. I don't really care about that part, but. The fact that hollywood's afraid to take chances is almost the opposite of what you think you think hollywood's all about pushing boundaries and exploring human conditions and this next well when it comes whatever. to the
1: story that's made up sure <laughs> <laughs> but when it's in real life oh no it's called risk assessment my
0: <laughs> okay i'm gonna let that one go <laughs> okay. so that's right around the time that i met john cameron as well yeah. um And I did a little work, uh, kind of a virtual CISO role with him, uh, for those who don't know what that is, uh, Chief Information Security Officer. And um, one of the things he was doing, which I thought was really interesting, was he had invented a cold vaporization technology uh, along with Seamus Blackley, uh, who was the guy who invented the Xbox, actually. and. The cool thing about it is, uh, for those of you who don't know anything about vaporization, the difference between smoking and vaping is really just comes down to how fast the molecules are moving around. So if if you have two molecules and they're heated, they're moving really, really fast, they can hit each other. So they can start off as something fairly benign and then they turn into 10 things. Those 10 things hit each other, those turns into hundreds of things. So you might start off with something really relatively benign like a tobacco leaf, end up with hundreds or thousands of different chemicals. With vaporization, you're only slightly heating it up and turning it into a vapor and taking it in so it's much less cancerous. Not to say there isn't any bad thing that can happen, but as far as consumer safety, it's it's better. Some of you don't drink it. Uh, but he had invented something that would just basically push it into your lungs as opposed to have it adding any heat at all. Right. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what you remember from those days? Like, what, what uh, was your experience with Sure. The, uh, well,
1: first of all, um, Obviously, I work in film and TV, but I've been, you know, a loyal, trusted friend of the Cameron family for 20 years. So, when John brought me in to help uh, with the vaping and technology, and and me personally, I I said to John, you know what, I'm not interested in vaping, but I'll run your company if you want me to. So, that's kind of how it all started. Um, I'm not sure where else to go Well,
0: I I think... um I think it's really kind of a shame. So, for those who don't know, John passed um, last year,
1: October twenty fifth, twenty twenty. John Cameron, Jim James Cameron's baby brother, died. Yeah, our best friend.
0: Yeah, he was a he was a really 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 amazing human being for all kinds of reasons. But I think his legacy, if I'm going to try to boil it down just to a few sentences, which is really difficult to do, if you've ever met this person, he's just amazing uh is he actually got the tobacco industry to really look at vaping as an alternative not just sort of look at it but like uh uh-oh we're in trouble we had better start doing this right away and it's better for them anyway um well they don't want to kill their consumers
1: right um john and i took a private jet to virginia and we met with the top tobacco leaders in the country uh on stage john in his very flamboyant blue leisure suit that he loved <laughs> wore uh, basically addressed all the tobacco leaders telling them they'll be dead in 10 years meaning not dead as far as like you know dead body but uh, their companies will go down because of vaping and he had the solution to that vaping it was fascinating i mean i'm simplifying it because I, I don't really remember the whole the whole thing but he actually addressed these top leaders and told them they're wrong. Mm-hmm. And he did
0: it while smoking a cigarette. And he did it
1: while smoking a cigarette on stage. Yeah. It was unbelievable. It was amazing. Yeah.
0: Um, There's really interesting footage of that. Um, yeah, he's he's an amazing person. Um, we should probably just dedicate an entire hour just to talking about oh, him yeah. at that point, but yeah. uh, he's, he's an amazing human being. But I would like to change it a little bit and start talking a little bit about um, the... About the politics around Hollywood and some of the stuff that you've been involved with or have near misses with. So, uh, when Trump got elected, um, I think you had some insights about how that whole thing happened from your perspective. Um, yeah. I'd love to love to hear what you think happened.
1: Sure. Well, um, so I've been in reality TV for you know fifteen to twenty years. You know, line producer for the most part, VP mm-hmm. of production, doing all these shows. One of the things that we tell uh, the talent is that, listen, if you live your life at a volume of, say, two or three, when the camera turns on, we want you to go to a 12 to a 15. I mean, we really need you to bring it up, you know, just drama and emotion. and whatever. Start throwing stuff around. Start throwing stuff around, yeah, because that's what reality TV is. I mean, you know, we won't get into that part. (laughs) But, so, uh, the election, you know, in 2016, I was telling all my friends that Trump was going to win. Now I, you know I, sure I was, that made you some friends uh, they, were, they were angry at me they were like, <laughs> "What are you talking about I'm like I, I'm not a Trump supporter, but I'm, I'm more of a centrist at best as far as when it comes to politics. but I explained to them I said, "Listen, Trump is following a game plan. Trump is doing everything that we do in reality TV now he learned that from The Apprentice I'm sure, so Mark Burnett trained Trump to be to do a lot of this stuff. Um, so when he was, you know, following the game plan of reality TV, I kind of figured that and he what, was going and to And what
0: win. would that be? What, would, what do you think that looks like from his perspective?
1: Creating your own reality. Um, you know, you know le- if you're loud, then people will hear you. Um, he believes everything he says, whether it's right, wrong, or whatever. And that's what you have to do. If you believe it, then you'll make other people believe it.
0: I heard a rumor, <clears throat> which I tend to believe, that he actually intentionally finds enemies, just any old, doesn't really matter who it is, just somebody who will fight back, so that he can get a lot of earned media without having to pay anything for it. Yeah. Does that sound, is that part that of the playbook? That sounds about
1: right, yeah, totally. I mean, again, anything that you can do to cause drama.
0: So what is the what does the next candidate do, looking at that playbook?
1: Very good question. Um, I suppose if if there was a democratic uh, front runner that's running up against Trump in in the next election, they're going to have to pull out the uh, the dirty little playbook. Think so? Oh yeah. 100%. You think
0: everyone going forward is going to have to play by those well,
1: rules? Well, no. I don't want them to play by. those rules. I didn't say rules. want to,
0: but do you think that's what's going to happen?
1: I, I think you, you know, in order to be heard, in order to be you know, to be in the front of the line like it, you know he is. Sure. I mean, you know, Trump may actually win unless the Democrats can pull somebody together that, that can go up against them that's real.
0: Interesting. And Biden isn't that, you don't think?
1: No, I. I, I unfortunately, I think, you know, Biden's, uh, you know, we're going to probably have somebody else. Hmm. You know, it could be Kamala, it could be uh, Hillary. I doubt it, but... I don't know. I mean, again, um, I don't really play a lot in politics, but I do... Why not?
0: Um, why why is that Why is that an area you haven't focused on? Oh,
1: I'm in politics. It's called Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> different kind of Trust politics. Me, it's different kind of <laughs> politics, but, you know, I mean, listen, I, I have problems focusing already, mm-hmm. so I just want to focus on my lane.
0: All right, so speaking of uh, politics of China in Hollywood, um, there's been a lot of really interesting things that have happened where... China has said you have to have certain types of characters in your movies. You have to remove certain types of characters from movies. In um, Red Dawn, too, the the remake or whatever, they uh, they had to change the bad bad guys from Chinese to North Korean, and, and all kinds of examples of this in Hollywood. Like, what, what are you what are you hearing on the street as far as how China is uh, doctoring the media?
1: First of all, it's about economics. Okay, again, it's about money. So uh, China controls, you know, a billion people and the, the airwaves and what they see and how they see it. Um, it's a communist country, so they they do what they do and they're allowed to do that. Now, uh, how Hollywood has to deal with that is that um, we censor ourselves based on what China asks us to do. Um, so you, you won't see certain movies in China because of that censorship situation.
0: I heard they only allow 34. 30- Four, I think movies per year from the United States and maybe that's even gone way down since then
1: not I'm not sure of that number uh-huh. but um, if you know if you if the if the US Hollywood made a hundred movies a year that showed how great China was you'd have a hundred movies a year it wouldn't matter how many as long as you don't uh, insult the Chinese people and the government or, or change that you know what they're trying to do then you know we you can do as many moves as you want. I have a deal right now that I'm uh, trying to work out with a Hong Kong-based media company, and uh, this we are going through every single script that we have, trying to find the one that is the best suited so it doesn't offend anyone in China. Now we're why, at are, self, China,
0: why are Chinese citizens so easy to offend? What what is no, that? No,
1: it's not the citizens. It's, the, it's government. the government. Of course it is. You know. Listen, what's happening in the Ukraine is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it, it, uh, I'm scared shitless about all this. Um, I worked with Russians working with James Cameron from 2000 to 2005.
0: On the boats. On the boats. The yeah. right,
1: it's a Russian ship. Uh, Mistislov mm-hmm. Akademik. Excuse me, I can't pronounce it right. Academic Mistislov Keldish is the largest science vessel in the world, and it's Russian. Now, at the time, those guys were awesome. Those were all of our friends. They were normal people. They put on their pants, jeans, shirts they, you know, they were just normal everyday folks that don't give a shit about politics. Very blue collar. Very blue collar, you know, science guys mm-hmm. don't care about politics. All of them most of them hated Putin anyway. But um, you know, I'm I'm, ran, I'm I'm on a tangent. Bring okay. me back in.
0: Well, <laughs> so how how is this related to China? Oh, China. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Sorry about
1: that. Um again it's about censorship and it's you know it's about what the chinese government feels is good for their country and we censor that so how do we what would a perfect
0: chinese movie be these days like how how would you doctor up a movie to be pro chinese what would that look Um, like exactly no
1: i well i mean just look at characters uh, and well yeah mulan Mm -hmm. it's a chinese character And it has to deal with a a woman, you know, battling the forces of evil. Mm -hmm. Even Marvel, Shang-Chi, the Ten Rings. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, as long as you're not showing the Chinese government a bad light, you can do almost anything you want. Interesting. So
0: let's talk a little bit about um, the gun handling incidents that we've seen coming out of Hollywood. So uh, the most recent one was Alec Baldwin and Helena Hutchins, I don't yeah, know if you it pronounce her, her rushed, name. Yeah, yeah it's um, sad. And terrible. then it went, the bullet went through her and hit um, the producer, the Joel. The director. The director. Uh, right? He
1: may have been the producer. I, I know yeah. him to be the director.
0: The uh, director, maybe his yeah. director. Uh, Souza. Yeah. Um, so do you have any uh, information about that? But also, you were there when uh the other incident with brandon lee happened
1: I, I yes i worked on the movie the crow yeah so um i i was a special effects assistant um pa uh but i did special effects because it was a non-union film in wilmington north carolina my job was i had a little sledgehammer and i would walk up and down the the hose lines because if you ever saw the crow the first one it took place mostly in rain mm-hmm. so my job was to make sure you know we were shooting in February so the lines were freezing mm-hmm. and when the lines freeze you don't get rain and Alex mm-hmm. provides the director when he yells action we want rain so it was my job to s- smack the uh, the hose lines with my little sledgehammer very simple job mm-hmm. I didn't have anything to do with guns or bullets or anything like that but I did work in that department mm-hmm. so um, from from what uh, the, what I know from all of the information that we got while we were shooting the movie, um, it, was, it, it was an accident, um, but it was an accident that could have been resolved if the prom master who was handling the gun would have looked down the barrel of the gun and noticed that there was a piece of a fake bullet that broke off into the gun. And uh, unfortunately that didn't happen it was sort of a series of things um, so you know first the he didn't look down the barrel to see if there was a piece of broken shrapnel stuck in there uh, then the next thing is the the gun was handed to the actor and the actor pointed at Brandon now don't you don't need to point a gun at an actor especially when you're off camera I mean he was, he was sort of off camera because I, I think they wanted to see the smoke of the the, the pop of the, the bullet. Uh, uh, not the bullet but the uh, the black powder mm-hmm. drift kind of in front of the camera give it a little special effect thing and uh, so he pointed it at Brandon and, and it, he was way off camera so uh, we put a squib in the grocery bag and uh, one of our special effects guys was behind a wall and he you know uh, so they yell action um, Brandon comes out with a grocery bag dialogue dialogue and then bang now uh, when the bang hit uh, from what I, from what I'm told, is that the uh, medic looked at Brandon's eyes and he saw something was pro- was wrong. So uh, the medic runs. This run-
0: isn't just acting.
1: No, this isn't just acting. So, but it,
0: this is really confusing moment for somebody who's ha- watching that. Like, oh, that's a great acting well, no, job. He's well, laying there on the ground well, he, for a here, while and everyone's some, clapping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> here, here's some
1: interesting things. Is that, so uh, Brandon drops to the ground. Medic runs into the shot. Uh, Alex Prius has heard, you know, get out of my shot, get out of my shot, you know. And the medic's ripping his clothes, and then the special effects guy comes out behind the wall, and he, he was like excited because he thought he did the right timing on the squib. So when the grocery bag exploded, it was like the squib hit the right time, everything happened the way it did. He just didn't see what was happening until he came out from behind the wall. And uh, it, it was one of the most traumatic moments of my life to ever be a part of a, a, a film where the, an actor died. So why is this
0: happening? Why is this happening twice? Why? why well, the, if you, like you can, remember, I, The
1: Crow was shot in 1997, yeah, eight, But, but I know? feel
0: like Hollywood learned it, should have learned its lesson. Why,
1: why did the? Hol, you know, most of Hollywood learned its lesson. Now, uh, talking about Rust, I only know what I read in the news. But you
0: have, you have some pretty good insights. I though. have, <laughs> I, well, yeah, I
1: mean, first of all, um, why there were live rounds allowed anywhere near that set, or people with guns and live rounds anywhere near that set, just boggles my mind. I mean, when we were on the Crow, we had—I mean, we had one scene where I think we went through 10,000 rounds. You know, and he was standing on a table and he's getting shot by all the bad guys. Nothing ever happened with that because we had like four handlers and armorers and all of those guns and all that ammo was locked in a giant truck and that truck is driven away at the end of each day. And no, there's no you know actors going and hey, let's go shooting after work. You know, none of that stuff took place because it was a you know for me it was a professional set. Um, but with Rust, I again, it just sounds like there was a lot of inexperience, hmm. and um, the producers should have had a much better handle on what was going on. Um, the armorer didn't have the experience she needed to do the job. I mean, yeah, her, I hear her father was a very famous armor, like, lots of experience. Why didn't they hire him? Mm. So is mean, no, pu-
0: purely you pay for what, uh, you get what you pay for kind uh, of situation? You
1: know what, listen, I, again, I don't know mm. the entire story, but based on just superficial information that the, the news reports, it just sounds like there was a lot of incompetence and a lot of inexperience that was going around.
0: That's a shame.
1: You know, I mean, I, I've worked on set with lots of guns before, and, you know, you don't have one gun. You literally are handed one gun. You know, the producer should have been standing there on set and had a little folding table, and you put the gun on the folding table and have the producer, line producer, anybody, any other producer, have three or four people check the freaking gun. Yep. And that's sort of what happens now. But I, again, with Rust, I have, I, I'm just, I'm sad that that all took place. But in a lot of ways, it will help. Hopefully. Remember, you know, allow our industry to remember that we work in a dangerous field.
0: Mm-hmm, sure do. Yeah, For all kinds of reasons. Yeah, I mean, I worked I mean, on. How many times I, has Jackie Chan broken a?
1: I worked limb. on a movie <laughs> called Dinosaur where we had a grip, you know, die because he got electrocuted. He had a cherry picker. He went through uh, uh, wires, uh, power lines, because he, he didn't he couldn't see the where the power lines were and he hit them and he died. So, I mean. We, we as Hollywood, I take my job very, very, very seriously. So all safety protocols are involved, everything is established, and I'll be a dick about it if I have to.
0: Yeah. So one thing I think that was kind of weirdly interesting about that particular thing, if you're, if you're gonna learn two lessons, one is a, one about safety, but the other one was about the fact that the bullet went through somebody and went through the next person. And this is something that Hollywood seems to consistently always get wrong. You always see the person jumping out in front of them heroically, getting shot, and the person behind them is like, "Oh, you saved my life." Sort of it's yeah, a nice but story. The gun was supposed to be empty. No, no, <laughs> I know, I know, I realize, but <clears throat> but it, but that's what bullets actually do. Bullets yeah. continue to go until yeah. they run out of energy. But there's a lot of problems very similar to that in Hollywood. Like, uh, very often you'll see space movies where people are, you know, having shootouts, and there's all these laser sounds or whatever. Right. Uh, Or you'll see um, someone driving a uh, two-stroke motorcycle back in the 80s, but it sounds like a four-stroke because they just overlaid some sound on top of it. The sound engineer just changed it completely. Um, There's all kinds of examples like that. Biomedicine, hacking. Oh, my God. Don't get me started on all these terrible (laughs) hacking movies. So, like, what, what's wrong with Hollywood? Why is it con- so consistently very wrong about basically any technical detail? Like, why, why aren't they hiring people who actually know what they talk, they're well, talking about?
1: Well, I, I think you're generalizing, first of all. I,
0: I am, but not by much. I think it's, well, uh, listen, <laughs> you don't have to go
1: far. <laughs> you'll be surprised, there are a lot of films that are made that they hire experts and they follow the rules. But you also remember, you know, it's- Are these it's, just the wrong experts, or? No, but a lot of times it's made for dramatic effect. A lot of times, it may you know this pen may be black now, but you know what? For the movie, we're going to make it purple and blue, but it's supposed to be black. It doesn't matter. We're it's it's what we're doing is we're doing creative uh, changes to it, and. Most of the time, I do think Hollywood, you know, does try to follow most of those, some of those
0: rules. I realize I'm an outlier, but I find a lot of those movies to be kind of unwatchable in a way. You know, it's <laughs> like I well, really have to suspend disbelief. Like, you do, yeah. Significantly, though. But I think well, you court,
1: watch a Marvel movie lately? I mean, well, <laughs>
0: yeah, but that's a little different. I mean, that's like supernatural. Okay, I can the metaphysical or supernatural. I I can right. I can suspend disbelief for the purpose of that, right. but. I mean, did guns suddenly get worse in this universe? Like, what happens? Well, where...
1: all right, so maybe there, there are some other reasons that could be, too, is mm-hmm. that um, if you're doing a low-budget movie, maybe you can't afford to hire the exact expert, so you do screw up a few things. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you don't have enough money in the budget to hire the right sound people to actually go out and create the exact sound you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. When we did Expedition Bismarck for Jim Cameron, Uh, We hired a sound company, which, by the way, won the Emmy for best sound in television on that show. They went out and they literally recreated every single sound in Expedition Bismarck. When you watch that TV show, the sound is exceptional beyond anything you'd ever imagine. And uh, so going against what you're saying, Mm -hmm. they took the time and we had the budget to go out and make the sounds real. So and, and it and the just rest of de- the time, there's just
0: somebody clanging well, in a just, basement yeah. somewhere.
1: <laughs> <moment. laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. But no, I mean, listen, again, it depends on who you're working with, who the producers are, how much time and money they want to spend to make it as accurate as possible. And sometimes you don't have to because, well, it's make-believe for the most part.
0: Yeah, got it. So one thing I think is kind of interesting is there's been a lot of really bad controversies coming out of Hollywood, specifically the actors, and it's all kinds of random things, often sexual, but it could also just be some racist comment or whatever. I wanna know how seriously, if at all, the people are starting to look to where the future, because I'm not so interested in where we are, almost ever, I'm always trying to think of where things are going. I just don't see a world where we have actors and actresses anymore. I, I think they're gonna go away. Not because people don't like acting and and uh, and showcasing their skills or whatever, but they're a liability. So from the business side, because you're a, you're a line producer, you can see the, the the pros and cons of this. If I told you I could create something for a tenth the cost of the actors' fees, and you could you shoot hundreds of movies with this new character over and over again perfect sound, looks picture perfect, uh, we've got a great voice, you know, not a real person, but doesn't really matter, In all shapes or forms, it's never gonna do anything that you didn't write it to do. Why wouldn't you say, you know what, we should probably start moving in that direction, just getting rid of the traditional actor and actress?
1: Because AI doesn't have true emotion.
0: Yet. Chris. Okay. okay. You asked
1: me a question, I answer it. <laughs> AI you, you know AI can't, you know, give you an actual human response.
0: Only this is only a matter of time, Chris. Of course we're, it we're maybe okay. it is.
1: Well, you know what, we're not there yet. When we get there then we can talk about it. Okay, but, but let's
0: say let's say we're there. Let's say we're we're 10 years down the line and 10. we have
1: How about like 50 or 100? Whatever whatever yeah. the number
0: is. Right. Okay. Then, then you you think there's still going to be actors and actresses? Well, or? of
1: course there will be think so? Yeah, because you're, you're still going to need uh, understanding of how human beings operate. I mean, I, I don't...
0: No, I'm not talking about some person who's in a suit walking around with bulbs on them. I'm talking right. about an actual actor or actress.
1: Well, then how, you know, the AI is gonna to have to mirror something. So let's say that, you know, I wanna do an AI with like a Sigourney Weaver for aliens. Mm-hmm. You know it's sigourney it's modeling you still need a human being to do that you still you still no, you need don't. to model it to you, someone you don't
0: you don't i mean you're only thinking about what's text there today what about in the future where i can do all that stuff and that's just a matter of me saying hey i want my character to do these five things and crouch and look right. scared
1: and well then when we come to that point let's have this discussion again okay all right because okay. right now uh, I, I we need actors as much as actors need us I think it's just
0: a matter of time, my friend. Uh, yeah, I know, I <laughs> Really just that, yeah. think it is. Okay. All right, so tell me about your new company. So you got a new oh. production company.
1: Well, I have a new old, old new production company. New-ish. Okay. New-ish. Well, I moved to Texas, so I moved the, I dissolved the company in California, and I moved it to Texas. Got it. Uh, it's called Civilized Entertainment. Um Originally, it was called Human Entertainment. Mm-hmm. That was something John Cameron and I were putting together. Mm-hmm. But when John passed away, uh, I felt it was in a, it was no longer appropriate. So I changed it to Civilized. Now, Civilized for me has a multiple meanings. Um, working in reality TV for twenty years, uh, what what I what Tara and I started at E One, to me, was what I want Civilized to be. Because the first couple of years we started we were the company everyone wanted to work for because we were nice we were fair we, we didn't micromanage we, we hired people that were experts at what they did and let them do it and professional so, and professional mm-hmm. and it was a great environment uh, that everyone wanted security to be a part security
0: website left a little to be desired but <laughs> <laughs> well now that wasn't my control I,
1: I, I had my own division I had to deal with mm-hmm. so but for me, civilized entertainment just doesn't mean like we're, we're doing, you know, my goal is to do projects that deal with science, technology, health, historical, medical. I mean, you know, I, I want to do things that can contribute some to the world. Excuse me. Entertainment, absolutely. I want it to be entertaining, but I also want it to, have, to be somewhat meaningful in, in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition, you know, so it's two, twofold, you know, I'm going to do meaningful content that mean that will, you know, propel the human story forward. But I also want to provide a safe working environment and a fun working environment mm-hmm. and a professional working environment and, and something that has good energy about it. Because to me, civilized entertainment is the company everybody wants to work for.
0: That's great. So you have a new coalition you're building as well.
1: Uh, I, so moving to Texas, mm-hmm. um, i i love i stay busy i can't sit still i have to stay busy (laughs) so um i reviewed the uh texas uh film and television tax incentives Mm -hmm. and well for the most part there are none i mean they have low caps on everything and you have to go through all these different jump through a lot of hoops so in a lot of ways a lot of productions don't want to come to texas because Technically speaking, you know, in their view, they don't have the kind of credits that are necessary. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm forming the Texas Media Coalition that is going to take a look at uh, restructuring the entire uh, Texas Film Commission uh, tax incentives. Um, I've done many movies in many states where we did, um, where we, we didn't structure, but we used their tax incentives and they work. They work great. So I was going to cherry pick, basically, all the best things about several states across the country and try to mold a new and different tax incentive program for Texas that doesn't take away money for for social issues, that doesn't take away money from, let's say, occupancy tax, but that will actually generate more business for the state of Texas and bring more business into the state of Texas and keeping the tax incentives that we're generating from the film and television industry giving those tax incentives to texas businesses Mm -hmm. so in a way it's just generating more for the state of texas
0: and and so describe why it's so important to have these like what what's the difference between having them and not having them well
1: it's economic development um you know i'm going to i'll take you out of the country for one second to ireland Uh, we did the green night in ireland and ireland probably has the best tax incentives in the world it's like somewhere between thirty-two to thirty-six percent cash back. So oh. if you have a, a budget of ten million dollars, they're going to write you a check. You know, depending on how much. You know, if let's say you spend the entire ten million dollars, you're going to check get a check back for like you know three million bucks. Mm-hmm. And they do it. It worked. We learned that on the Green Knight. I, that's part of the reason why I felt the Green Knight was one of the best movies I ever worked on, because it, everything just worked like a machine. It was amazing. So. Uh, Obviously in the U.S. we have a lot more complicated issues than that, but we shouldn't. I think I can figure out a way to move money around and call it soft dollars and keep all the money in the state, but then generate more business and bring it into the state. Um, I'm still working that out.
0: Yeah. So who's interested in this? Who, who are you talking to? A film commissioner? Like, who?
1: Uh, I'm talking to... I basically have spoken to all the film commissioners in the state of Texas, You know, Houston, Austin, uh, san antonio uh, the actual texas film commission itself mm-hmm. um, and one of the places that i'm going to is oil and gas i have some relationships with some very large oil and gas companies in texas so i want to go to them with a proposal to somehow keep it all in the state and it'll propel film and television as well as you know just business you know if, if i can sell tax incentives to a restaurant that you know instead of Uh, I I can't really even get into it because uh, I don't know enough about taxes and the way the tax structure is in Texas. That's what I'm learning.
0: A lot lot of property tax. (laughs) A lot of property tax, but, but
1: I'm learning how to do that. And I'm going to see how that incorporates into the little program I'm creating.
0: So how do people support you? How do they get behind this or get behind what you're doing? Well, um, Civilize, how do they, how do they yeah, find you? you know,
1: CivilizeEntertainment.com. It's real simple. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an email address, Entertainment at Gmail. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, send me notes. Uh, we're looking for endorsements from uh, corporations, companies, uh, that we can generate uh, so that I can, I can help your business with whatever taxes you're paying uh, by bringing in more business from Hollywood and just keeping everybody busy. I mean, that's why I have a problem sitting still. So I want to keep myself busy. <laughs> and I also want to work. You know, if you know, uh, if I can create more jobs here in the state of Texas for, you know, film and television, then I will. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. And then we're uh, also creating a training program too. Uh, I, you know, going back to Ireland, they have something called the, uh, it's called the trainees. So, uh, the, sta- the country of Ireland puts uh, a trainee on in ev- every department on whatever movies they do, and they subsidize. So, I a great I would, way to get
0: like small local well, organizations Well, yeah, you, you build,
1: yeah, you, you basically, you build a base of crew. Mm -hmm. So, if you have a a PA or a trainee in every department and you do three, uh, you know, that trainee does this show and that show and that show, you do three, after the third show, then they get accepted into the union and now you just build your base. Mm -hmm. And that keeps going and going and going. Ireland can shoot like, you know, 100 movies if you want all around the country because they have a very large base of crew. So if we can try to do something like that with Texas, like say the universities use all the university film and you know television programs that they have, and incorporate them into the training program when they graduate, there you go. It's
0: a great way to get a lot of local businesses involved as well. Oh, absolutely. They, well, it comes back to them. You know, absolutely. Now they're getting stuff shot in their city. And the their kids are involved in the program.
1: um, I want to bring up one thing. I I got a question from an Ible follower Uh that said, what are the current COVID protocols now dealing with our industry? Well, currently they're, they kind of are still the same. They, you know, the unions sort of dictate what those are. um, And they really haven't changed all that much. They still do rapid testing. They still do masks. They do PCRs, depending on what, is a requirement from each studio, from each network, et cetera.
0: And this is uh, mostly insurance related, I'm sure. Uh, well, it's COVID related, mm-hmm.
1: it's health related. We mm-hmm. wanna keep everybody safe on set. Sure. So that's kind of uh, where uh, the business is now, but I hear by the end of April, the unions may be changing their, their tune a little bit, which would be good. Great.
0: That's all. Well, do you have a social media profile that people should follow you at? Uh,
1: civilized, uh, Facebook, Civilized, Twitter, Civilized, all that. You know, just Great. look Civilized. It's at Civilized, I think. <laughs> Actually, here, I'll look at my card. How about that? <laughs> I'm, I'm not the best social media guy. Yeah, Facebook is at Civilized. Twitter is at Civilized. Okay. Instagram is at Civilized Entertainment.
0: All right. Well, so. thank you so much for coming on the r Show. I really appreciate it. Both uh, this conversation as well as your help with producing the
1: show. Thanks, Thanks, Robert. Thanks so much. Yeah, appreciate, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you.